You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. So the Lord commanded the angel, and he returned his sword to its sheath. The Lord heeded the prayers of David. And not only shows us that God accepted David's sacrifice because he consumed it by fire, he honored David's desire and brought him back into fellowship with him because of his offerings. How are we brought back into fellowship with God? Because of our sin, Jesus Christ. It's by his blood that we are brought back into fellowship with God. God honors humble, repentant hearts. Even in David's time, God's forgiveness was dependent on His grace. The sacrifices were just placeholders for the coming Christ. A sacrifice brought with pride was useless in God's sight. As Pastor Dave will remind us in today's message, God welcomes us when we come in humility. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 21. As he continues his message, David numbers the people. righteous and God is just. God, in his grace, forgives sin when we confess it to him. But he also allows us to reap the consequences because of his righteous judgment. Because of David's sin was a sin of will, it was a deliberate choice, God says, okay, I'm going to give you a choice. Here it is. It's interesting to me, though, in Deuteronomy 28, under the heading of curses for disobedient, these three punishments can be found. These three punishments can be found. So the Lord sends a plague to the nation Israel. Let's look at 14 and 15. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell. And God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. As he was destroying, the Lord looked and relented of the disaster, and said to the angel who was destroying, It is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. Wow. 70,000 men had to pay for David's sin. Seems obsessive, doesn't it? Seems like a lot, doesn't it? What a lesson that God was trying to teach David. He sends an angel You know how bad those angels are. They're bad dudes. One angel killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. Those angels are tough, man. They are tough. Just read the book of Revelation when the angel delivers the the, the bowls and the judgments and all these things, man. Those angels are tough. Man, they're enough. They don't want to mess with the angels. He even sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem, his city, the capital city, the city of David. He sent an angel to destroy it. Wow. But he doesn't. He doesn't destroy it. He relents. We see God's grace. Even in the midst of this horribleness, we see God's grace. Well, where's God's grace? He killed 70. Could have killed 80. Could have killed 100. Could have killed them all. God's grace held back from killing them all. In verse 16, David looks up, and David sees the angel. 
David sees the angel, verse 16. Then David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between the earth and heaven, having in his hand drawn swords stretched out over Jerusalem. So David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell on their faces. David looks and sees this angel. I don't know how big this guy was, but he sees this angel and he has a sword drawn. What a sight that must have been. Can you imagine what that looked like? But shiver my timbers, I'll tell you that right now. Man. Wow. And David does the right thing. David does the right thing. He goes to the elders and they put on sackcloth, which is kind of like burlap bags and ashes, which is a sign of repentance. It's a sign of mourning. It's a sign of, of we give up. We're mourning. We're, we're mourning our sin. They fall on their faces before the Lord. A great time of mourning takes place. Verse 17, David speaks. And David said to God, notice that David never speaks to the Lord directly here. He's speaking through the prophet. He's speaking through this God who is like an intercessor. David yells out and says, Was it not I who committed, who commanded the people to be numbered? Am I the one who has sinned and done evil indeed? But these sheep, notice he calls them sheep. These sheep have, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, O Lord, my God, be against me and my father's house and not against your people that they should be plagued. David intercedes for the people. What a beautiful, beautiful picture this is. David says, yo, don't take it out on these people. Take it out on me. I am the blame. You know, like I said, sin has drastic consequences and sometimes other people are affected by our sins. I read this. There was only two other people in the Bible that I could find that basically put themselves in between God and the people. Can you name one? Moses. When God wanted to wipe out Israel, God told Moses, I'm going to wipe them all out and start with you. Moses said, no, wipe my name out. Take care of me. Get rid of me. Moses, anybody else? Who else? The book of Romans. Paul. Paul says, would that I would be accursed for Israel to come in. Paul was wanting to give up his salvation, which you couldn't, but he was offering the Lord, I'm going to take the rap if my people can come in. What a heart. Look at the heart of David. David's confessing, hey, Lord, it's me. Enough of this. I'm the one. I'm the one. Take care of me. It's my fault. I take full ownership of my sin. And this is huge, folks. This is enormous. Taking full ownership of what you have done. Take full ownership of, yep, I did it. Don't go, oh, you know, the devil made me do it. No, you did it. You chose to do it. You did it. Own it. This is huge. This is part of repentance. And this is part of growing through the Lord and growing strong. When you admit it, you own it. I did it. They try to get the addict to admit that they're an addict. They try to get the alcoholic to admit they're an alcoholic, the gambler to admit they're a gambler or whatever. Yeah, I did. I am. This is who I am. David says, I did it. I sinned. I've sinned. He acknowledges this. <laughs> you know, you suffer a little while. It's amazing how obedient you can become when you're suffering for some time to time. Look what happens in verse 18. Therefore, the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Immediately, the Lord tells Gad, tell David to go, go build me an altar on this flesh threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Now, remember, before David conquered the city, who was in charge of Jerusalem? 
the Jebusites. The Jebusites were there, and David kicked them out. Remember, we went through that? David kicked them out, and now he has us. So David has to go to Ornan, who owns this threshing floor. It's a place where they separated the wheat and the tares. It's a place where they got rid of, they took care of the wheat in the threshing floor. All right? There was a certain place there, getting rid of the wheat and the tares. When wheat grows, it grows with tares, and they look just like wheat. And it's hard to tell the difference between the wheat and the tares until they get too heavy and the wheat kernels bow. The wheat finally bows, and you can tares stay up straight. And you can tell the difference between the wheat and the tares. There's something to be learned about that. Something to be learned about those who are God's children bowing before the Lord and those who are not standing straight up. Something to be said about that. David immediately goes without hesitation. He goes without hesitation in verse 19. So David went up at the word of Gad, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord, and he goes. I think at this point in time, David would have done almost anything to have God stop and keep the people safe. So he goes to see Ornan. Ornan. Something interesting happens at the threshing floor. Look at verse 20. Now Ornan turned and saw the angel, and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. But Ornan continued threshing wheat. I love this guy. This guy is great. He looks up and sees the angel, and his, his sons see the angel, and they run and hide. He's threshing. He sees the angel and says, ah, he's he just continues threshing. It's interesting, though. It gets really exciting for me as we begin to look at the rest of the chapter. Because in turn for a minute to 2 Chronicles chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 1. Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. You see what's happening here, folks? Remember back when God said he would prepare a place for his people to worship? He had it all picked out. Mount Moriah. What's the significance of Mount Moriah? Abraham. Abraham took his son Isaac to Mount Moriah, and they got on top of Mount Moriah when the Lord told him to sacrifice your son Isaac. And as they were walking, Isaac was carrying the wood, and they got up there, and they built this altar. And Isaac says to his father Abraham, Abraham, here is the wood. Where is the sacrifice? And God said those beautiful words, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And just then, a ram showed up in the thicket, and they brought it out, and he sacrificed the ram when God told him not to kill his son. What a picture of Jesus Christ. God providing himself a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. And now, to this day, on Mount Moriah sits the Temple Mount. Is where Solomon will build the temple at the site of the threshing floor of Ornan. God has a temple built right there on Mount Moriah. I know it's there. I saw it. I was below there. Come to Israel with me and you can touch Mount Moriah with me. It's there. I saw it. Bedrock, Mount Moriah, on which the Temple Mount is built. Beautiful picture here. What is the temple? It's a place of sacrifice. It's a place where the sacrifices were held. The temple, the tabernacle, the sacrifices are all a picture of Jesus Christ. All a picture of Jesus Christ. Uh, that, that to me is so cool. I think that's so neat. God had it all worked out. 
God's plan. He was using David's sin to accomplish the purpose of getting the tabernacle built in that particular place. God uses everything to his advantage. Oh, gee, sounds like a scripture. And we know God works all things together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So David's there. Ornan's there. The boys have left. The angel's there. Look what happens in verse 21 and 22. So David came to Ornan, and Ornan looked and saw David. And he went out from the fleshing floor, and I think it's funny, and he bowed before David with his face to the ground. I think that's hysterical. He looked at the angel and said, yeah, kept on threshing. And David comes, he says, oh my gosh, the king. And he went out to see the king, and he bows to the king. I think that's pretty cool. Was he still a Jebusite? I think he was. I think he's still a Jebusite. In verses 21 through 24. 22, then David said to Ornan, grant me the place of this threshing floor that I may build an altar on it to the Lord. You shall grant it to me at full price that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. But Ornan said to David, take it to yourself and let my Lord the king do what is good in the eyes, in his eyes. Look, I also give you the oxen for burnt offerings and the threshing implements of the wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it to you. Then David said to Ornan, no, but I will surely buy it for the full price for I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings of that which cost me nothing. Oh, man. Man. David offers to buy the threshing floor. Ornan says, no, you're the king. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. Here's the place. We're going to separate the wheat and the chaff. We're going to, I'll give you all the instruments. You can, I'll give you the oxen so you can make your burnt offerings. I'll give you everything you need. When you separate the wheat and the chaff, the wheat and the tares, what's the chaff representative of? Sin. The chaff is representative of sin. When we separate the wheat from the chaff, the way they separate it was they took it and they threw it in the air and the breeze would take and blow it away like the chaff which the wind drives away in the psalm. The chaff which the wind drives away and the fresh wheat would fall to the ground because it was heavier. Chaff is representative of sin. David wants to transform this place where the chaff was separated from wheat into a place of worship, into a place of sacrifice. And it would remain that way, a place of sacrifice. Because, as I said, this land, and we can read about it soon, becomes Solomon's temple. The first temple, it becomes right there on that spot. Solomon's temple is destroyed during the captivity to Babylon. Ezra, Nehemiah, and the gang come back and they build, they rebuild the temple. They rebuild the walls. And that starts the clock ticking. Starts the clock ticking when they return. And they get a letter from Artaxerxes. And the clock, the clock starts ticking until the Messiah, Jesus Christ, comes into Jerusalem that day. And we call it Palm Sunday. In, the, in 70 AD, that, that temple was also destroyed was also gone. So two temples have been built and destroyed. The Romans destroyed it in 70 AD and the Babylonians destroyed it before. But there will be another temple. There will be a third temple. There will be a third temple. The plans have already been made. The implements have already been designed. The clothing has been made. The priestly robes have been made. They've even found a way to do DNA testing to test back to see who are Levites. They're that advanced. They're that advanced. And someone will come in. Someone will enter in and make this huge peace agreement with Israel and make this huge peace agreement with the world. 
and they will give permission for Israel to build a temple. Somehow, the Dome of the Rock, which sits there right now, which is a mosque, a Muslim mosque, supposedly on the Temple Mount, many people think it's not directly on this place. Many people think it's to that side. And there is a theory that the temple could fit right beside the Dome of the Rock. There's a theory out there that says that. Pretty scientific, but it supposedly works. The thought is, is that this person is the Antichrist that we know. He will give permission for Israel to rebuild this temple. And it will take three and a half years to build the temple. And during that time, we will have tribulation on the earth. Read Revelation. We will have tribulation on the earth. And then after those three and a half years, the Antichrist will come in and he will dedicate the temple. And he will have this huge gala where he dedicates the temple and he stands up and he declares himself as God and demands that everybody worship him. And it's called the abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke about. And at that point starts a tribulation the world has never seen. It's called the great tribulation. You have a seven-year period from the time the temple begins to be built until the end of that seven-year period where Israel is dealt with, where God deals with the nation Israel, deals with them, and many, many, many will be saved. Many non-Israelis, many Gentiles will come into the kingdom during that time. It says a huge amount. that God will deal with the nation Israel because they're his children. They're his people. They're, they're his chosen nation. He chose them, and he will deal with them. And then on that fateful day, at the end of those seven years, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will step on the Mount of Olives and it will split in two. And he will come in through the east gate of Jerusalem. And he will come in there. And the Israelites will see him. And they'll go, where did you get those wounds in your hands? Where did you get those wounds in your side? And he will say, I got them in a the house of a friend. And they will be crushed because they will know that he's talking about them and that he is the Messiah. Oh, I get chills thinking about it. <laughs> I get chills thinking about it. And you know what? We're long gone by the time a lot of that happens. We're long gone by the time the rapture happens. But if you read Revelation, we come back with him that day. We're coming back with him. We're coming back according to Revelation. So it's that place. That's why this is so exciting. This is the place we're talking about that started long ago that God had a plan for this exactly specific spot on Mount Moriah way back to Genesis when he told Abraham to sacrifice his son. Way back. This is fantastic. And we know that it's going to happen. And we're convinced that God is going to do this. And we continue to pray for Israel. We continue to lift them up. Because those seven-year period is all about Israel all about Israel, and we continue to pray for them, and we continue to pray for each other that the Lord would, would be here. And this is the only thing that will happen. The, the last piece of the puzzle is the rapture of the church. I got carried away. It was exciting. It was exciting. Verse 25, so David gave Ornan 600 shekels of gold if I wait for the place. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the Lord, and he answered him from heaven by fire and consumed the offering. I love the fact that David says, I don't want to get something that doesn't cost me anything. He's talking about the sacrifice. He's talking about sacrificing to God. He knew and understood that the death of those 70,000 men didn't atone for Israel's problem. 
he had to sacrifice. There had to be a sacrifice setting up for the greatest sacrifice ever on the cross of Jesus Christ. It set that up. This all sets that up. There had to be sacrifice. The atonement for David's sin could only be made by blood. Only by blood. The atonement for my sin, the atonement for your sin, the atonement for the sin of the entire world can only be made by blood. It was spilt 2,000 years ago, the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is the only atonement that will be made. He will never, ever go back up on that cross. Burn offerings atone for the sin. We studied that. Peace offerings were enjoy fellowship with God. It shows that from the beginning to the end of David's life, he was marked by fellowship. This is why David is a man after God's own heart. And what you like about it, whether you like him or not, he is like we are. Fallen, human, deprived man. But he understood God's word and he understood God's law and he knew how to deal with his sin. I love it. All this happens, and look what happens in verse 26. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the name of the Lord. And he answered him from heaven by fire on the altar of burnt offering. So the Lord commanded the angel, and he returned his sword to its sheath. He returned his sword to its sheath. The Lord heeded the prayers of David. It not only shows us that God accepted David's sacrifice, because he consumed it by fire. He honored David's desire and brought him back into fellowship with him because of his offerings. How are we brought back into fellowship with God? Because of our sin. Jesus Christ. It's by his blood that we are brought back into fellowship with God. Because our sin has separated us from God. Our sin has separated us from God. Jesus is the mediator. He is the one. He is the days man. He is the go-between between us and God. No man comes to the Father except through me. He said that. And we believe it. When we draw near to God and we confess our sin, we just said it in 1 John. It says that he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. By the blood of Jesus Christ. The plague's gone. David consecrates the land and he uses it as a place of worship from then on. And he's allowed to worship there. He's allowed to make sacrifice there even though the tabernacle was still in Gibeon. David is allowed by the Lord to make sacrifice there. Now make no mistake about it. David doesn't make the sacrifices. Only a priest can do that. David understood that. This would be the site of the temple. This would be the one. And although David sinned greatly against God, and he was told he couldn't, make, he couldn't build a temple himself, although his heart's desire was to please God by building him a house. David understood that the Messiah was going to come from his seed and that someone would reign on his throne forever and ever. David was allowed to gather all the materials for the temple. He was allowed to prepare everything for his son Solomon who would build the temple a la Solomon's temple. He was allowed to build that, and we're going to study about that. It's a great time, a great blessing. So when we remember things, what can we glean from this today as we end here? What can we glean? Well, we can glean that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you say you're without sin, Paul, John says you're a liar. And the truth of God is not in you. So we do sin. And we have to remember that our sin not only affects us, it affects other people. And if and when we sin, that we would come to God and clear it up and call on God about it. And that that would be our guide, knowing that we serve a God who forgives our sin. You are You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. 
Pastor Dave comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. And in today's message, Pastor Dave is in the book of First Chronicles. In this book, we witness the kingship of David. What was it that made David such a great king over Israel? No doubt he was a mighty warrior, full of faith and courage. But that's not what made him so great. His greatness came to him because he followed God. When a choice was before him, he went first and asked the Lord what to do. When you face choices in life, what is it that you do first? It might be tempting to first look at finances or talk to a friend. But if you want to be great like King David, seeking God and his wisdom is the first thing to do. As we progress through the story, we'll see times that God sends David into war and others where he directs him to avoid war. We can only know God's direction by seeking his face. Here at Assure Hope, we'd love to do that with you. Are you facing a difficult choice? We'd love to seek God's face in prayer with you. You can email us your requests at info at capewatchradio.com. Once again, that's info at capewatchradio.com. Or you can call us at 609-884-5821. That phone number, again, 609-884-5821. Well, we've come to the end of our time together for today. We'll be back, though, and we hope to see you again here on Assure Hope.